Thanks for listening to this message brought to you by Cornerstone Christian Church. For these and other great resources, please visit us at sparkswillfly.cc. This morning, um, probably more than what I normally do, I've preached from this a while back, but this has just really been on my heart. I, you know, a lot of times as uh, when, when things happen, when things go wrong or tragedy or happens or whatever, a lot of times people look and... Um, uh, you know, whether it be deaths or whatever, they look to the pastor, you know, what, what's the answer to these things? Well, I, I think sometimes uh, we make mistakes in trying to answer things that we don't understand. How many knows that? And I've heard that, um, I heard this, that, you know, that maturity in a believer's life is not by how much revelation they know, but how much mystery they're willing to live with. There are things that we will not understand until we see God face to face. Do you believe that? And so... Um, but here's the deal. I want to preach. I'm going to give us four points, okay? I'm not a really a point preacher, but I'm going to give you four points this morning uh, to uh, survive in the storm. And so uh, let's look at Acts chapter 27. There is a storm in the Bible that Paul found himself in, and I want to read from that uh, today. Let's, before we get started in this, uh, let's, just, let's just pray right here over our community. Let's pray for everyone that's leading uh, the restoration efforts. And if you will, touch your neighbor on your, on your um, just, just touch them right there on the shoulder or on the hand or however. Um, so uh, let's just do this. Father, we just thank you right now for the goodness of God. And we thank you for this city, this community, God. We thank you that, just as the paper said, Adel is strong, Father. And we thank you for a strong community. We thank you, Lord, for uh, what we witnessed in this place on Wednesday night. We thank you for unity of the brethren coming, Lord, and growing and increasing in our community. And Father, we do lift those up, Lord, those that have served at the warehouse. I've, I've heard numbers of some 90 and 100 hours they've put in this week. I pray strength over them. And God, I pray just clarity of mind over them and wisdom and revelation, Father. I pray that, um, that there was any person that was affected by this storm Lord those that lost we thank you that you are God of restoration like we sung in this place and when David saw that he had lost everything but the Lord told him yet you shall recover it all and I thank you Lord that not only will they recover what was lost but they'll be increased at the end that is how good you are father and Lord we just we just thank you again uh just for, 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 for being who you are, a God of love and mercy and grace. And we honor you in this place. And we thank you, Lord, for lifting these people up right now in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> All right, let's look at this in Acts chapter 27. And you help me because I'm, I'm like you. I'm awful tired this morning. And um, so uh, if you'll help me, we can preach it. It works a whole lot better when you work with us. Amen. So uh, Acts chapter 27 and verse 13, it says this. We're jumping right in the middle of uh, Paul's uh, uh, journey and, uh, uh, to Rome, and they find themselves in a storm. So let's look at it. It says, when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, uh, putting out to the sea, they sailed close to, uh, by Crete. But no longer after a tempest headwind arose called um, uh, Eurocliton, so that when they, the ship was caught and they could not head into the wind, we let her drive. The King James, I think, renders that, let her be driven. And running under the shelter of an island called Claudia, we, we, we 
secured the skiff with difficulty. And when they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship. And fearing lest that they should run aground on the, on the uh, side of sands, they struck uh, sail and so were driven. And because we were exceedingly uh, tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. On the third day we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. But after long uh, abstinence from, from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship, for there, there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong, to, uh, belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take, take heart, men, from, for, for I believe that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Now when the 14th night had come, as we were driven up and down in the Arctic Sea, about midnight, the sailors sensed that they, might, they were drawing uh, near some land. And they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little farther, they took soundings again and found it to be 15 fathoms. Then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they had let down the skiff into the sea under pretense of putting out anchors uh, from the prow, Paul said to, this, to, to the centurion and to the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall out. And as the day was about to dawn, Paul implored them to all to take food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day you have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, they, he took bread and gave thanks to God and in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. And they were all encouraged and also took food themselves. And in, in, in all were 276 um, uh, persons on the ship. And so when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. And when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay and which a beach onto which they had planned to run the ship if possible. And they let go the anchor and let them in the sea. Meanwhile, loosening the rudder ropes, they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for the shore. But striking a place where two seas meet, they ran the ship aground, and the prow struck fast and remained immovable. But the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. And the soldiers' plans was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion wanted to save Paul, kept them for, for their purpose, and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land. And the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship. And so it was, they all escaped safely to land. Now, I want to break all this down. You know, there's... Um, uh, 
this is the number one thing on our hearts. You know, I mean, our county was uh, struck by storms, not only us, I mean, other counties. I mean, this is, this is I'm 37 years old. I, I've seen some tornadoes, but I've never seen the damage that I've seen in the last, that, in the last week. And so I do know this, that um, after there was a lot of questions, you know, that arose even from Wednesday night. We had uh, 15 different men to come up and pray. Obviously, everybody's got a different theology. You with me? But we all don't, we don't, I think one of the problems that when we try to unify in our community is that we, we get bogged down trying to unify on doctrine. We will never agree on doctrine. Jesus had 12 men that followed him and they couldn't even agree. Are you with me? Even the three got into a fight. You know who's going to be the greatest. So if Jesus couldn't keep 12 men and he couldn't keep three men from getting in arguments trying to agree, we can all decide in this room that we are never going to agree on doctrine. But what separates us and what divides us is not the main doctrine, it, doctrinal issues. We all believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. We all believe that he died on a cross. We all believe that he rose again on the third day. What divides us is silly issues. Come on now. And so what we have to do is we gather on relationships and we realize that we all have the same banner, which is that we all have the same jersey, if you will. We all have the same jersey and the same banner, which is Jesus Christ. Now, uh, many have said, and I've even uh, uh, had some questions asked this morning. There was a, there was, um, did God, did God send the tornado? Did, was this, was this God? So we're going to answer this, okay? Now I'm going to get out on some limbs, okay? So I've already got the chainsaw in my hand, and I'm sawing. So let's see how long I can stand on it. Number one. Let me say this, when you're in any storm, whether it be a tornado, whether it be tragedy, whether it be a hard season in your life, there's anchors of thought that you've got to have that is grounded in the Word of God. Are you with me now? Growing up as a Pentecostal boy um, and, and, and all of that, listen, you've got to have more than a shout if you're going to make it through. Are you with me now? I love to shout more than anybody. But let me tell you something, when the shout wears off, you've got to have some word that you can stand on that will sustain you. And the word of God, the Bible says that heaven and earth will pass away, but not one jot, not one tittle of the word of God will pass away. It says in Hebrews 4 that the word of God is powerful, quick, it's sharper than two, any two-edged sword. So we have to build our life on concrete, if you will, that we can stand on. And how many knows this, that what Jesus said, that one built his house on the rock, one built his house on the sand. What is sand? Sand is particles of rock. It's incomplete truth, if you will. We want to build on the solid truth. So number one, if I'm entering into a storm or tragedy happens, I have to have anchored in my theology where my thoughts. Number one, the Bible says that, where Paul said, it says that the winds got so bad and the, and, the, and the waves got so bad that they were no longer driving the ship. It says that they were being driven. How many know, I believe this speaks of the emotional realm. You've got to keep your emotions intact. If not, you'll be driven by your emotions. They're up here one day and down the next. Am I the only one? So we have to be, we, we, can't, we can't be driven. We've got to be, we got to drive, okay? So number one is this. Regardless of what happens, God is good. Can we all establish that in this room? Now, the Bible says in Nahum 1 and 7 that the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. 
Psalms 119 verse 66 says, uh, 68 says, you are good and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. Psalms 107 verse 1 says, gives thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Psalms 145 verse 9 says, the Lord is good to all he has companion on all he has made. Listen, that so, so when we, when we, when we hear people say, because when we hear people say, well, is God in control or God had to allow it? Now, I'm just going to give you this. Sometimes in Christianity, we throw away common sense. Now, I'm going to ask you this. I'm a dad of three boys. The Bible says this, talks about me. If I be, if I be evil, know how to give good gifts unto my children, how much more does your heavenly Father give good gifts to them that l- love him, Right? How much more? What as great as dad is on the earth, elevate that by one million times, and then we're starting to reach the level of how really good God is. Come on now. The best dad, the best model you can think of, he's far more above that, friend. So listen, God is good. Now let me say this. If I have a theology based on, well, God maybe God didn't send it, but God allowed this to happen. What dad in this room would sit back and allow somebody to attack your child and you sit back and simply do nothing? Come on, God don't allow anything evil on the earth, friend. I feel the Holy Ghost. That's a Pentecostal version. I feel the Spirit of God. Are you with me? God, God doesn't allow that. So we have to go back and we have to find out, well, well where? listen, if God, show me anywhere in the Bible that God sent tornadoes to Adam. Huh? Show me anywhere in the Bible with, did Adam have to deal with cancer, disease, or anything. No, that was not in the garden, friend. It was God, man, the presence of God was there. But when Adam failed, the earth got rocked. The earth slid off its original axis, if you will. That's why Romans 8 says that all of creation is groaning for the manifestations of the sons of God. The earth is groaning in birth pain saying, where is the Adams? Where are the sons of God to be manifested on the earth to call back divine authority and walk in dominion in the earth? So, so, if, if, so we know that God didn't allow it. So here's the next thing. Well, some people say this. Well, because this is, this is all up in the South. I've had the privilege of being in a lot of churches. Next month, February, I'll be preaching the gospel 20 years. So I've preached in several churches, okay? Been preaching around. And this seems to be, well, you know, God's trying to teach you something. Now, I'm going to ask you this. If you are a dad in this room and you teach your kids by putting, if I, if I wanted to teach my kids something by putting a deadly disease upon their life, defects would be at my house and I'd be incarcerated. Listen, this is why people don't want to run to God because of the stuff we preached to them, told them what God was doing. God ain't not, God's not in this business. If we did that, Jesus said he came to put a face on the Father. The fa- Remember when, when he said, how long is it going to be until you show us the Father? He said, when you've seen me, you have seen the Father. And listen, Jesus spent about doing good, healing all that was sick and oppressed of the devil. If he was, if, if God uses sickness to teach us, if he uses destruction to teach us, then Jesus was working against his father's will while he was on the earth. Help me this morning now. 
So we know this, that John 10, Matt already quoted it during worship, John 10 and 10 says the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. So if it has to do with killing, stealing, and destroying, that is the work of the devil, friend. Well, how did the devil come into play? Well, when Adam fell. When Adam fell, Jesus said, I come to seek and to save that which is lost. Listen, they was more lost than just humanity. The deed to the planet was lost. And Jesus came back, went down to Hades and preached the gospel, took back the deed to the planet, if you will. And in Matthew 28 said, all power and authority has been given to me. And he transferred that deed into the church. I'm trying to preach up in here. He transferred the deed back to the church. Here's a funny scripture. Psalms 115 verse 16 says that the heavens, even the heavens belong to God. Now here was a revelation. Jesus didn't say all power and authority has been given to me in heaven. Just heaven. That wasn't no revelation. They never lost the authority. They never lost what was going on in heaven. But the earth was jacked up. Sin was infiltrating the land, right? But when he said all power and authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, that became a revelation. Nowhere in the Old Testament do you see a devil being dealt with. Who casted a devil out in the Old Testament? Now we've seen powerful men like Elijah. We've seen powerful men like Elisha, Samson, all these different ones throughout the book of Judges, Gideon, all of these different ones. But when, but when Jesus stepped on the earth, now the kingdom of God was back in planet earth. And sin was being destroyed. The kingdom of God was being increased. And that's the life and role that you're here. God didn't place you here and save your life so that you could attend church on Sunday mornings. He saved you and called you in and empowered you in his army that you might destroy the works of the devil in your area of influence. Now I'm just asking you, think about this. Think about if I'm a victim of tragedy and, and, and someone comes to me and says, well, God allowed that to teach you something. Do you think that that makes me want to run to a God who's trying to destroy my life to teach me something? Hello. But I'll tell you what, in the face of every tragedy, what you will find is the face of our Father through His people reaching out with love and compassion and His light being revealed. Are you with me now? Listen to me, it, even when, G, I, this is what I've said from the beginning, this community will come out stronger, it will come out better. Listen, let me tell you this, you think about the, remember when Peter was released from prison, the Bible says he went through four things and he says he reached to the iron gate which leads to the city which opened to them of his own accord. We've prayed for unity for three years since I've been here, I know, worked at it, strived at it. Let me just tell you what happened. Now the door for that to happen just got opened. So what the enemy sent to harm us will turn around for the good if the church will embrace God and pray into it. And if we won't give up in this moment. Hello. We had, we had 15, I know, in this church, 17 on the list, 15 prayed. And, and there were some people who said, well, they'll never come to Cornerstone. And listen, I thought about this. It, what, it didn't have nothing to do with Cornerstone, but I felt like the Lord showed me Ephesians 2.20. Jesus Christ himself being the chief Cornerstone. I believe it was a prophetic act when we gathered at Cornerstone. It wasn't nothing to do with the church, but it was a representation. We're going back to the Cornerstone, the plumb line, which is Jesus Christ. It's not about the Baptists. It's not about the Methodists. It's not about the church of God. It's about Jesus Christ in whom him being glorified. And God doesn't see 
all these denominations, when he looks at the church and the community, he sees a church, a body with many members. All right, so we've got to have the anchor driven in the ground that God is good. Don't listen to people standing up saying that God took a child because he needed a rose or an angel in heaven. Come on, somebody. All right. Number two, this is earth-shattering revelation to some people. This tragedy is not a result of God punishing us for our sins. Well, you know, preacher, I tell you right now, people say this, you know, California's going to break off an ocean. It's going to break off. One day it's just going to break off. You know why? Because that cesspool of pornography and everything else that California's doing out there. Let me tell you something. In the old covenant, God couldn't destroy a city till he got one man out of that city. Come on now. So you mean to tell me Jack Hayford who's out in California? Jay Hahn who's out in California? Come on, I'm messing with your theology. Bill Johnson who's in California. You mean to tell me God's going to sink them to get some unrighteous people's attention? Come on now. This is jacked up theology in the church. God is not punishing anybody today as a result of their sin. Why? Because he punished Jesus over 2,000 years ago as a result of their sin. Oh, but let me tell you, the church I grew up in, we thought we could die at any moment. We backslid 450 times. Listen, Jesus is not here to punish us today. He's here to love us, to reach out his hand, saying, I'm I'm long-suffering. I'm not willing that any should perish, but all come to the knowledge of the truth. Let's look at this. Go to the book of Romans, chapter 5. Here's where we come up with this mess. Because Uncle Joe got cancer, three family members get saved, we say, well, to God be the glory. Listen, God can win with any hand. You give him a pair of twos, he's going to beat four aces. I don't know how he does it, he just does it. But because good came out of the situation does not mean we credit it to God. I about want to say something right here, but I don't know if it is. I am going to say it because it's jacked up theology in the church. I heard a man say one time he, he, he had an affair. God healed his marriage and come back, but his marriage is stronger now. But it's almost like God orchestrated the affair. God ain't never did that. Friend, you crazy. Come on, somebody. God, I just got to quote the Bible to you. The Bible says God don't lead nobody astray. You tempted and led by your own flesh and your own lust and your own desire. Hello. But this is, God is not punishing us as a result of our sin. Jesus already received the punishment. Well, somebody said, well, you know, I heard this. I heard this. uh, I remember being in a conference maybe five years ago. And somebody said, you know, God's about to judge the sin of homosexuality. He judged that sin over 2,000 years ago. Hello. Newsflash. He judged it on the cross. Oh, Lord, preaching like this gets you thrown out in most places. Just quoting the Bible. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
For scarcely for a righteous man one will die. Yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. What have been justified? What? Through what? His blood. What is justified means just as if you'd ever done it. Come on, somebody. Anybody been forgiven of something in this room? You ought to shout on that. I mean, that'll make a Methodist shout. Look right here. Been justified by his blood. That's a, let me just stop right here because I'm teaching more than preaching. We're not justified by how good we are. You're not justified by your tithing records, your church attendance, come on somebody, or any other Christian discipline. We're justified by the blood of Jesus. Much uh, for, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall what? Be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Now look, look at this verse right here again. In verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, when? Through the death of his son. Now when I grew up as a Pentecostal, we used to come down, somebody got saved, we'd get up there and start saying, there's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine. Come on, I wish I could sing like Matt. There's a new name. Listen, your name was written down in glory when Jesus hung on the cross. Amen. I'm trying to help you this morning. Your name was recorded then. Why? Because when Jesus died, we were in him at the cross and we died with him then. Now, the only thing we got to do is get you to realize what's already been purchased for you. See, being saved does not mean you have to come down here this morning and shake my hand while we sing I Surrender All or say a prayer. It's recognizing your package, what God did for you through his love, demonstrating he went all the way to the cross. He didn't just go to the cross for those that was on the earth. You and I was on his mind, friend, when he went all the way up to Golgotha and when he went down to Via Della Rosa, he died for us then. Now, there is something in the Bible saying your name shall be blotted out. So apparently, there's an eraser. How does the eraser come in your life? You reject every opportunity that God gives you to receive him. Somebody says, well, what about people over there in foreign countries where they're persecuted for the preaching of the gospel and you know they just don't have many preachers. Do you know this is happening right now? That Muslims by the droves are having dreams of the man in the white robe and are showing up at the mosque saying who is the man in the white robe? This is happening right now. That these that there is evangelists in these countries and they're standing by the mosque waiting on them to show up and they say, let me tell you, the man in the white robe is the God whom you've been searching for all along. His name is Jesus Christ. And they simply receive when? What he's already paid for. Now, think about this. The Bible says that Jesus, while on the earth was reconciling 
people back to God, not holding their sins against them. It won't sound like the church, does it? We'll hold some sins. Let me say it like this. One translation, one translation, the Amplified, as Bishop Joseph Garland said, the reason why we don't read the Amplified because it's too loud. Can't take it. Listen. Says that Jesus working in the earth, reaching out, not counting their sins against them. Now, if God's not counting your sin, how in the world do you think he's sinning tragedy? Because this is, this is some of our theology. You know what? He just got fed up. He got fed up with us. He got, this, this is some people's theology. I hate to say it. He got fed up with us. And on Sunday morning at 3.30, he just said, I'm going to let an EF3 roll through there. I'm going to wake that community up. That ain't got nothing to do with our father. What that has everything to do is an attack of the devil on our community. Hello. This might not be popular preaching, but I got the mic. That's an attack of the devil on our community. Now let me say this. He attacks in many ways. Remember? But you remember when, he, when, he, when Jesus was crucified on the cross, when he was doing a buck dance and said, boys, I'm telling you, we got him. We got him. He's dead hanging on the cross. But on the third day, the earth began to groan. And something began to shake. And the, those that were down in the graves came up out of the graves. Am I in the book now? Come on, somebody. The graves opened up. That was the first resurrection. Come on, somebody. And the Bible says this. The enemy said, Paul said, had the enemy would have known the outcome, he would have never crucified Jesus. Not only did, listen, when Jesus was on the earth, he had to deal with one man. Are you with me now? Now there's over 600 million spirit-filled believers roaming the earth. Are you with me now? Listen, had the enemy would have known the outcome of Sunday morning, he would have never touched his community in the end because where we were scattered and divided, come on somebody, where we were separated by race and denomination, those walls not only, listen, did that tornado tear trees down, it tore those walls down. And now we're gonna come together like never before I can't, hear, I can't get no help up in here. I thought about this. I said I wasn't going to preach this morning. I'm about to flat foot preach, doing. I thought about this. In 2008, I had a dream. In this dream, I knew I was in California. And I called my mom and I said, you know, my God, can you believe it? I've made it all the way to California. You know, I grew up in a little old small country town and blue-collar family. Can you believe it? I'm in California. I knew I was in a classroom. And in this classroom, we had, the professor was, a, was an older gentleman, silver hair. Um, and we saw this tornado coming across the landscape. And I remember sitting there in the dream and we were going to hunker down. You know what I'm saying? I would say this, before Sunday, I've never been in tornado position. I do not have a physique that likes to be in the tornado position. You remember that was in school? I hate to say, but I mean, all the chunky folk, we was down there about to die. I mean, we, were, we thought it was going to die from, you know, couldn't breathe. But we were hunkered down. But so in this dream, I was thinking, you know, 
We don't have to put up with that tornado. We don't have to put up with that tornado coming here. Well, you know, there ain't nothing we can do but pray. Have you ever read the Bible, friend? I'm sorry. I'm just bold as a line this morning. Have you ever read the book of James, the fifth chapter where it says Elijah was a man just like you and I of like passions? But he did something different than most Christians do today. It says, but yet he prayed. Not only when he prayed, he stood in front of Ahab and he said, let me tell you something, I'm fitting to shut the heavens up for three and a half years and it ain't gonna rain again at the sound of my word. That's a man in the old covenant shut up the heavens for three and a half years, took over the weather channel, took over the meteorologist, blowed them all away, said, listen, I'm fitting to shut it up at the sound of my word and it ain't gonna rain again until I get up there until I pray again. And when he prayed again, we know this at the, at the, in 1 Kings 18 where the showdown went. Remember when he said to serve out, he said, there ain't nothing. He said, I'm telling you, go back and look again. Why? Because at the sound of my word, I'm fitting to cause the rain to come. The rain's gonna come out of here. It's gonna start here first. Then it's gonna happen in the atmosphere. And then he come back and he said, listen, there's only a cloud the size of a man's hand. He said, that man's hand's about to turn into the most massive storm you've ever seen. Get back into the city until the rain's coming. This is what I thought in the dream. So hey, but listen to me. It's going to sound like I'm, now this is a metaphor in a dream, okay? This ain't no real tornado. This is, this is pictures. It's a metaphor. I said, hey, we fit to rebuke this tornado. I'm fit to send this thing something. I'm fit to tell it. Now here's what I don't pray. I wasn't praying this at our house. God, would you run around my house? Would you move it around my house and strike Junior over there? He probably needs some help. This is what I stood out in my front yard before we hunkered down. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, you dissipate, you disintegrate in the atmosphere. Don't you come down. Now, I wish I'd, I'd say that it did it at that moment, but it didn't, so we went in and hunkered down. I always say this, pray if you don't hear nothing, Google it. Listen. <laughs> How to quit. So, hey, we as students got down in the, we got down and, wait, we stood up, we ain't got to get in a tornado position. We rebuke you, tornado. Tornado just started leaving. But I noticed this in a dream that the professor never rebuked the tornado. And it highlighted in a dream that he never joined in with our prayer. I got to thank him. I called somebody who knew somebody who called Doug Addison, which is a prophet out in California. He said, I can tell you this. First of all, I knew that old man in that dream represented the wisdom of God, the Holy Spirit. And he said this. He said, if God's showing you a tornado, he said, this is what, is, this is what God's telling you to. He's telling you that he wants to come in a way that will change the landscape of your city. Tornadoes change the landscape. Are you with me? Now, do I think God was in the physical saying he wants me to intercede that a tornado is going to come through my city? No, while he was telling me to intercede that I want you to pray that there an awakening come to your city that will change the landscape of your city. Amen. Now, God is not doing this stuff because we're out of order. Amen. We're under grace. The Bible talks about in the book of Acts, first two chapters in there, it talks about the great and awesome day of the Lord and it talks about the terrible day of the Lord. How many of them in the book, right? We're trying to preach quick to get out of here. 
It says before the terrible day of the Lord, which will release the awesome day of the Lord, it says what that the moon, that the sun shall be, what darkness and the moon shall be turned to blood red. Right? Gross darkness and the moon shall be turned to blood red. That happened at Calvary. The moon has no light of itself. It only reveals a light. Jesus said that he came to put a face on the invisible light. That moon was turned to blood red and it released the awesome day of the Lord and that's what we're living in. But there is going to come a terrible day of the Lord that will shift when that grace will no longer be. We all looking in here crazy now. We read the Bible, right? We're under that grace and as long as we're under that dispensation, God is not counting our sins against us. All right. How many still believe in the rapture of the church? All right. Number one, number three, number two, um, number one and two, you got them. Uh, number three, he will never leave me in the storm. These prayers that we, God, will you be with us as we travel to Perry? He will never leave us nor forsake us. I remember reading in his book, I Was Wrong, Jim Baker, when he was arrested and when he was thrown in the back of a car. And when he was thrown in the back of the cop car, he said the, one, number, the only thing thought in his mind is he wanted to die. And he said as he, as he was thrown in the back of the car, he said in the cuffs, he said the Spirit of God came all over him and said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God is with us even unto the end. Listen, there's times in our lives where we may not feel God, we may not feel like he's nowhere around, but you've got to have anchored in your theology when that voice comes to tell you, listen, where is your God? Where, where, where is he at? Listen, I know this. I got the promise of the word of God. No matter what I'm facing, I don't face it alone. That God is with me. And if I hold on to that truth, it's only a matter of time I'll begin to feel him and I'll begin to see him at work in my life. The enemy always highlights us what God is not doing. I, I have to choose. I can't, I can't focus over here on the hundred things I'm praying for that God is not answering. I have to look at the things that God is answering. And as I focus on what God is doing, I notice that depression leaves and discouragement leaves. And I say, look, God's moving on our behalf. Look at Matthew chapter 27. I'm just trying to see what I'm going to get out of here because we want to go help some people right after church and try to release us where we can go do that. Matthew chapter 27. We're all going to have this. I've had these moments. You've had these moments. If not, you're probably going to have a moment like this. When Jesus is on the cross, he says, Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, uh, Sabachaniah. That is to say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let me say this. Jesus experienced that moment of forsakenness so you would never have to be forsaken. That's awesome.
He took that moment so you and I would never have to be alone. I can tell you this, through the reports and through the stories, I'm saddened, and we all are, at the loss of life that happened in our the community and in our state. But of the stories of the little ones praying and seeking God, let me tell you something, he was right there. And I do believe, just like Eric Gordon said in his church, that when the first responders got there and the people started going through those homes, that was the face of God reaching in that destruction, saying, I'm right here to help you. He will never leave us nor forsake us, friend. In the darkest moment, he's there. You got to know that. You got to know that when, listen to me, when the pastor's not there, when the church is not there, he's there. When, when the friend won't answer the, the text at night, he's there. God, I'm trying to help us right here this morning. I'm telling you, friend, he's there. He's, if you call on him, he's there. He's a present help in the time of need. We've got to have this as an anchor of truth. Listen, let me just say this, and I'm no doom and gloom guy, but let me tell you this. Folks, this is only the beginning of the days ahead of the church. Have you? I'm, I just gotta. I'm, I just gotta be honest with you. I'll be telling. Listen, some people gonna tell you just come to Jesus and everything's gonna be roses and cake. I've been walking with him twenty years. It ain't all roses and cake. That's why the book of Ephesians starts out with three categories. There's running, there's walking, and finally he ends up with, my God, just stand. If you could just stand. There's times that we run, there's times we're walking, and there's times we're just standing and saying, listen here, preacher, I'm holding on. That's all I'm doing. So, and we know this because the Bible says that, that gross darkness shall cover the land, Isaiah 60. Gross darkness shall cover the land. But he says, here's a command, arise and shine for thy light has come. We're not waiting for the light. The light has already came. He was the light of the world. Now he left you and I to be the light of the world. And, and we've said, we, we use this illustration because it's the best I've ever heard. Every jeweler knows this. If you, put, if you put the jewels and you take black velvet and you line them in the case and then you set the jewels on them, what does the black velvet do? It reveals the brilliance of the jewel. God will take the darkness, what the enemy means for havoc and destruction, and that will be the thing that reveals the jewel and the diamond of the church. And the people will flock to the house of God. Have you not read the Bible? The Bible says that they shall run to us. In Isaiah chapter 2, it says they shall run and say, teach us thy ways. And it says that the highway of holiness shall be so large that a drunkard could find his way upon the path. I'm quoting you the book, friend. All right. God's with us. He's never going to leave us nor forsake us. All right. Give you one more. Said, how's he preaching that good? Cause of notes. Let me just say this too. I, I had the privilege of doing a funeral Tuesday. And I, you know, I went to the classic Psalms 23. And I gave this statement in there that it talked, Psalms 23 was never about death. It was about overcoming and making it through, right? Huh? Though I walk through the valley. Not that I got stuck in the valley. Not that the valley overcome me, but though I walk through the valley. And I gave six quick deals there. You know, number one, if there's a shadow, there's got to be a light. Guess who's watching over us in the valley? And I said this, 
and I think this is true for a county, this is true for an individual, this is true for anyone, anybody. That, number one, we don't want to be stuck in the valley. But another thing, another danger is, is just running right through the valley. See, when trauma and pain hits, you've got to process that valley. Or, or you'll never become whole on the other side. Can you stay with me right ten minutes? Five minutes. Let's give five. Ten might be too long. You have, to, you have to learn how to process that. What happens, a lot of people suppress that and they run on, but only to find that that's still going to be there days ahead, years ahead, or whatever. So you have to go through a process and all that. So what I want to say is this. I said all that to say this. In Matthew chapter 27, when Jesus was on the cross, the scripture says, you know they were taunting him or whatever, and the scripture says that they offered him, when, when they offered him gall, and vinegar is what the King James says, sour wine. They offered him sour wine and they offered him gall is what it says. That gall is a painkiller. Let's put it in our day. Here's your lore set. Take this. You're in tremendous pain. Right? We know according to Psalms 22 what he died. His heart literally burst on the inside of his body and spilt down into his loins. Right? Not a bone was broken by the prophet Jeremiah. He's hanging in that moment and he's offered the gall and the painkillers. Now, I'll have to go back to this. I remember when Catherine, when, when we had Grant, our first child, she was all into this, you know, like every mother, you know, would watching the baby story and, you know, Christian Mullis who had delivered, you know, 23 kids, nine play. She has delivered a lot, nine, you know. And so uh, we, she was saying, Catherine's like, I'm going to have, oh, I'm going to have him natural. So I said, okay, now Catherine, I mean, I, I don't, I mean, she went into labor on Christmas Eve, so I was up all night. I always said it was far worse on me, you know what I'm saying? But... And so I'm trying to help her. I'm trying to help her, and I've always been just big old boy, you know, and so I got her kind of like doubled up in the presser hole, saying just push, and the woman was like, sir, you just need comfort. You're going to break her in half. You know, I was going, <laughs> you know, thought I was on the ball field, you know. And so Catherine said she was, she, she, I'm gonna, I'm, we're going to do it natural. I said, okay. Let me tell you something. When she got about five, all the thoughts of having something natural was gone. She was ready for some crack, heroin, whatever they had in there. You, you follow what I'm saying? She's like, I, I get, she, and I told her, I tried to coach her, you know. I mean, I'm coach. I said, now, you said you won't do it now. I'm taking that epidural now. You hush up. You know what I'm saying? And then we scared to fight the doctor because, I mean, he meant that blood shot out her back or whatever. Now, I'm in full-blown tongues. These people looking crazy, you know. But think about it. Jesus in that moment, how much, listen to me, you got to understand, he's fully God, but yet he's fully man. How much do you think he was wanting to open his mouth and say, pour all the painkiller you got right here at this moment? Because I can't, I'm, I'm telling you right now, I can't hardly bear this. But you know what? He was looking down through the ages and he was going to see the pain and the devastation that you and I were going to have to put up with walking in this earth. And he said, I refuse to take it because you know what? If I don't take it in this moment and I pay the full price of this right here, there'll be a day when, when, that, when, when John has to walk through pain in his life, he'll come to me and I will have the authority to take that pain right out of his life. 
Friend, that's good right there. Every person on the face of the earth that see if they heard a message like this, that makes me want to run to a God like that. It, I tell you what, don't make me want to run to a God when you up here preaching some kind of hellfire and brimstone and tell me how much God hates me because I'm falling short. Listen, we've all fell short of the glory of God. You know what? I'm glad that Jesus makes up the difference when I can't finish the line. He's already finished it for me, friend. And God is saying, hey, come to me. Come to me. Well, I about want to get ugly right here. But the reason why half the people can't come to God in America because they got a preacher standing in the way. Lord, I better quit. It's getting ugly. Last thing you got to do in a storm is you got to let go of the past. You're never going to see the future till you can let go of the past. After I process it, what I got to do is close that chapter. You can't go to chapter 8, which is the new beginnings, till the chapter 7 is complete. And here's the deal. Whatever happened in chapter 7, I don't let it rule chapter 8. Paul, the apostle Paul, who had been to heaven to the third heaven, seen all the amazing things, wrote 13 books of the New Testament, said this in the book of Philippians. One thing have I processed and I've got it figured out. One thing that I understand when it comes to the Christian walk, and that is letting those things which are behind stay in behind. And I press toward the mark of the high call in Christ Jesus. If you and I are going to make it, we're going to have to let yesterday's mistakes go. We're going to have to let yesterday's failures go. We're going to have to let yesterday's sins go. Let's all say it like that. Huh? I'm going to have to let it go. That's in the past. And let me just say this. Don't let a moment in time define who you are. We always hear the church preach about doubting Thomas. Thomas wasn't a doubter. Read on through there and you'll find where Jesus came to him. He said, listen, I'll die for you right now. One moment in his time when he doubted who God was, now we call him as doubting Thomas. We call the lady with the woman with the issue of blood. We call her with the issue. People get defined by their issues. That's who I was. That's not who I am. If I fall and do something crazy today, that's not who I am. That's who I was in a moment, but it's not who I am. Does it define me? Stand up with me right here. Let's pray. All right, can you touch your neighbor on the shoulder one more time? Don't be grabbing by the hand. I'm, I'm cutting up. Father, I pray today, Lord, that you would help us to be a living example of your goodness. God, we wouldn't allow any tragedy or any devastation to shake us off of that reality that you are good. We know today, God, according to the examination of your word, that you, you don't do these things, Father. You love us. And God, I pray today that just as I've preached in this house, Father, we, your bride, your church, would become one in this community. We would be really one body. Hold on just a second right here. Look at me. Because I just thought about this. I thought about this a week. That 
and I reached over and told Junior during worship. There was several years ago. I mean, this is probably decades ago. The, one of the words is in his church about even that's why CCA, uh, when, the, when the Christian school was here at the church, it was called the Eagles, right? Because of the word Philadelphia, right? Adel came out of Philadelphia. Remember this, Steve? To the church at Philadelphia, right? What is Philadelphia known for? The city of brotherly love. And I felt like God said, son, I want you to begin to intercede on behalf of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, that that would be a true mark of this community. And we said it Wednesday night, look, there's there's chaotic, crazy stuff going on in our nation, right? Just crazy stuff. And half of the stuff gets, listen, I ain't talking about, because no Donald Trump talking about the media, but we know this media blows everything out of proportion. Causes people getting frenzies. There's crazy stuff happening. Listen, what we've got to cry out for church, I'm just telling you this, how in the world can we ever expect America to come together if the church don't come together? And this is what we of leaders said. How can we expect our churches to come together if we don't come together? All right. We are, look around in this room, defining the odds in the South. We're white, brown, red, all up in this room. We all have one blood. And we're all saved into one family through the one blood, Jesus Christ. We've got to cry, I'm telling you, as an intercession right now, will you join together with me right quick? We're going to pray this one quick prayer, and I promise you I'm going to let you go. Father, I pray we touch and agree together as a house that this is the city of brotherly love. We do pray, God, that you would bring such unity. We pray over our nation this morning, God. And we pray, Father God, that that there literally would be love, God. We would have a fresh baptism of love. We would would take the 1 Corinthians 13 love. We begin to put our brother above ourselves. We begin to put our neighbor above ourselves, Father. I pray that, God. I pray, Father, all of this divisiveness, all of this racism, all of this stuff would be pulled off of our country, off of our cities and communities. And Father, we thank you, Lord. We trust you this morning, God. Beyond what the news says, beyond what the media says, like Matt sang this morning, we're going to trust in the promises of God. And Father, we thank you for massive revival coming to this country, for our community, and for our nation. We know this, that the White House can't save us. Only you can save us, God. And we trust you, Father. We trust you, God. We don't trust in a a party. We trust you, Father, this morning, God. And Lord, you are still on the throne. That throne's going to change every four years, but your throne has not changed throughout the ages. You are still on the throne, God, ruling and reigning. And God, your church is still the most powerful organization on the face of the planet. And the word still stands true in 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways and pray and repent, then shall we hear from heaven and you will heal our lands. We pray for the church that they would turn from their wicked ways and we would walk in humility and repent. And we ask that the God of heaven would heal our land. We pray for healing across this nation and we thank you for healing our community this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Listen, 
Uh, if you filled out those things, please return them back there to the table. We have a gift for you. Uh, God bless you. We'll see you here on Wednesday night. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more exciting content, visit our website at sparkswillfly.cc and connect with us on social media. 